Arlene Pellicane and her husband James love their son Ethan. In fact, they love him so much they haven't given him a smartphone yet, making him one of the 5% of American teens who don't own smartphones. We always thought it was safer for him to travel without a phone, right, of what could happen to you, versus, okay, we give the phone because it makes us feel like you're safe, but now you're tempted to look at porn. Now you're tempted to play video games all the time. Now you're tempted to talk to friends that were like, who is this friend you're talking to, you know, et cetera. So we always felt like we want you to be independent to solve your own problems, and we don't want to put that kind of temptation right inside of your pocket. We're going to talk about temptations and addictions that maybe some of those 95% of the kids who own smartphones are facing. We'll talk about that with Arlene Pelliking on this edition of Family Live This Week. Welcome to Family Life This Week. I'm Michelle Hill. I want you to stop and think with me. Think about the last time that you left your home. Maybe you went to the grocery store. Maybe it was a restaurant, work. Maybe it was church, all social distancing, of course. But what did you observe? What did you observe of the kids, young and old? Were many of them watching screens? You know, screens in the hands of younger brains, they're really at a disadvantage, and it's creating a new form of mental health and behavior problems. Listen to this. These are just a few of those disorders. Internet addiction disorder, internet gaming disorder, pathological video game use, pathological technology use, mobile phone dependence, and those are just a few of the issues that are facing us and our kids these days. You know, I've been doing some reading on this, and I have some deep concerns for our next generation. So to help me get some perspective, I'm going to call on my good friend Arlene Pelican. Arlene is an author and speaker, and recently she co-authored a book with Gary Chapman titled Screen Kids. Arlene, I loved your book. I was drawn in because— oh, I'm so glad— There's just so much research and so much to learn about screens and kids. And actually, by the time I ended, I was almost filled with anxiety about (laughs) what's going on, what's going to be happening with our next generation, because I know how hard it is for me to put the screen down. So what do screens do to a young brain? My goodness. So, you know, that that kind of anxiety that you felt, you know, uh-huh. Dr. Chapman and I, we certainly want to bring people peace, but sometimes you get the peace by getting shook up a little bit. <laughs> and, right. And so that's what this book does is that you read these things, you understand, and especially if you think of a child, the younger and younger the child is, whether it's your child mm-hmm. or your grandchild, then the more is at stake. So if your child starts going crazy, on video games, and they're 14 years old, you know, that's going to be a lot different than if your child is four or five years old and goes crazy on video games. So age really does 
matter in this case. And I think what we want to do in the book is really, you know, take the veil off. We have accepted technology, particularly during the pandemic, because it's our way to connect. But we want to take that veil off of don't just blindly accept all this technology, but recognize how does this technology impact your child? And different stuff does different things. And so if you wonder, why can't my child regulate their mood? Like, why do they just break down so easily? If I take this away, they just melt and freak out. Or why when they have a school challenge, they just, oh, I can't do it, you know? And it's this part in the brain, the prefrontal cortex that's been starving, that's made for a mood regulation, decision-making, common sense, reasoning, and and it's being affected. So that's just one of many ways that the brain is being affected. But I think that kind of when, when you're looking at your child or your grandchild, you can picture like what is actually happening in the brain of my child. And that can, that can get us moving and, and wanting to change things if we picture it that way. So you were mentioning about gaming. What about a little five-year-old who grabs his mommy's phone at the grocery store because he's just beyond bored and it's, it's a pacifier? Yes. What's happening in his brain? Yeah. And you have to think your child, you need your children to be able to soothe themselves. Mm. So just this whole idea of I'm bored, I can find a way to soothe myself. Whether it's I start counting, you know, red items in the grocery store right, right. to I grab a book and I start reading it or, or I start I spy. coloring or I, you know, I do things. Right. Whether it's falling asleep or whether it's just surviving a grocery store trip, et cetera. Those are really necessary skills. And so if a child from a very young age, whenever there's any kind of tension, oh, you know, they're bored or oh, they're making some noise or oh, they're they're getting in the way. Here is have a here have a screen then it really becomes the only avenue that that child can be soothed. And now you, as the parent or grandparent, you've kind of unleashed this really ugly cycle that when my child gets ugly, they need a screen and nothing seems to pacify them like the screen. So that's where the danger comes is now your child is conditioned and their brain is conditioned that this is how I soothe myself, this is how I amuse myself, and nothing else really compares to it. And that's when we have to be like, oh, no, this is this is not healthy. I have a coworker who has a large family and all of their children sit through church. Yeah. All of them sit in the pews with yeah. them from the time they're like six months, maybe nine months. They mm-hmm. sit there. And I remember other church members going and asking them, how do you ta- how do you do this? And his answer was, "We don't let them watch half hour shows. Yeah, we have them do other things. Yes, we have them do things with it, you know, at the house or outside, but so that they're not conditioned for a half hour time period. So good, right? Because that is now normal. And mm. and so when we feel so defeatist, like oh, our kids couldn't do that, your kids can do it." You know, and it's just our responsibility to give them practice. And the way they practice that is being okay with being bored. So not to rescue your child every time they say, oh, I'm bored. Oh, here's a show you can watch. In your book, In Screen Kids, you helped me see that the internet addiction disorder is actually a thing. Coach parents to Mm -hmm. see 
and just recognize what it looks like if your child is addicted. Yeah. So you would use this word addiction and it would be the kind of thing that prolonged this prolonged behavior, whatever it is, is going to cause harm to your child. So that you see, okay, if my child continues doing this, continues gaming this much, continues on social media this much, continues, you know, needing it, this is going to be really harmful for them. That maybe you see that uh, some of those warning signs would be they're only happy when they're doing that activity. So they're they're only happy when they're able to game when when the phone is in their hand. They sneak around to use it. You know, what are you doing? Oh, nothing. You know, oh, you're playing a game, aren't you? You know, so nobody's waking up in the middle of the night to do their algebra homework online. You know, we don't have to worry about school in this way. But what would your child wake up in the middle of the night to do, right? Whether that's mm. gaming, texting friends, being on social media, et cetera. So you see them doing it at strange times. Like, what are you doing? Um, they withdraw from people. So instead of maybe, hey, let's go to grandma's house, ah, I'd just rather stay home. You know, you see this withdrawal from people that they prefer being with their devices rather than people. They start the activities they used to love. Maybe they used to love playing the drums or going running or soccer. And then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, it's okay. I don't think I'm going to try out for the team this year, mom. You know, and then they instead they're interested in gaming or social media, et cetera. So you see a withdrawal from other activities. Uh, if When you start seeing these things and let's say they can't, a great test is just go one day without it. You know, if we just took this, if we just did something different for a day or if we went camping for a weekend, you know, if there are no complaints, then you can feel like, hey, they're doing pretty good. But if all weekend long, it's, man, we got to get home. Man, I, I got to get back on my social media. Oh my goodness, my streak is over. I got to get up back on my video game. Then you know, like, this is a problem. So those are some ways that you can test it. And so if they test it and the parents find out or grandparents even yeah. find out that something is happening here and there is most likely an addiction, help a parent help a child. Yeah. What, what do they do? Yeah. And this is that whole idea of parents rising and grandparents rising. You've got to do the hard work. Now, of course, the base of all this has got to be relationship, right? So we're not telling you go in there and clean up house, you know, but, but I am saying clean up house, you know, but do it in a way where your kids understand I'm on your side as best you can. So maybe this looks like an apology. Hey, I've let you play this video game because I didn't want you to feel left out with your friends, but I see that you're gaming more and more, you know, you used to just do it one hour a day. Now you're kind of at two, three hours a day. And I just don't think that's going to be healthy for you going forward. I know that might be hard to understand. And this is the way you connect with your friends. I'm really sorry for how this must feel to you. I'm really sorry. But I think as your parent, I have to be responsible. And there are too many people, you know, flunking out of college because of a gaming addiction. And I don't want that to be you. I want you to have a bright future where you can choose what you want to do, that you're not addicted to anything. So that's the problem with digital media. So for instance, if this was a, a cocaine problem, you could say, okay, you cannot be near cocaine because that's obviously a big deal for you. But for kids, they're going to be part of the online world for the rest of their lives. And that's why it's so important as kids that we give them the chance of being kids, of having mm -hmm. a childhood, of not graduating out of your home with this crutch of, man, I'm, I got to play my video game or else I don't know what to do. So to that parent, I would say, you know, it might sound really harsh, but the best thing you could do for your child is say, you know what, 
until you go to college, that game, we're not playing that at our house. And sorry, I mean, is that going to be a popular decision? Probably not. But is that a decision that's really going to protect your child? Yeah. Because nobody says as a parent, oh, you know, I should have let him game more. I, that would have just made his life so much better. If I just would have not been so strict and I just would have let him game whenever he wanted to, that would have really helped him in life. But no one says that. Like, I wish I would have given my girl social media sooner so she could have the slide of anxiety and depression. Nobody says that. But they all say the opposite, right? I wish I would have waited. We need to take a break, but when we come back, I want to hear from you how your kids are actually living life without smartphones. We'll be back in two minutes and we'll hear that answer. Stay tuned. So, do you live in a state of continuous partial attention? For Family Life Blended, here's Ron Deal. You know how secondhand smoke is harmful to those around you? Well, parent educator Joshua Straub suggests that being continually distracted by our devices creates a secondhand screen impact on our children. We allow our play, talk, and attention time with our kids to be interrupted, and they suffer for it. The brains of babies might even be wired to expect interruption by this repeated process. So Dr. Straub suggests that you designate certain times to look at your screen instead of your child and compartmentalize time where no phones are allowed, yours or theirs. Look, aren't your kids worth your full and undivided attention? For Family Life Blended, I'm Ron Deal. To find out more, visit FamilyLifeBlended.com. The reality of living in a blended or step family can be tough. I believed at 27 because I was divorced that I was no longer qualified to do anything in God's name. That's why there's the Family Life Blended podcast. My husband will say, you know, there are some good parts about being a stepmom. I'm like, I know there are. It's a blessing, but it's also very hard. The Family Life Blended podcast is part of the Family Life Podcast Network, and it's hosted by Ron Deal, an expert on blended families. We're always working on our marriages because God is always using our marriage to work on us. The Family Life Blended podcast brings together real, honest conversations about the complexities facing blended families. We have to learn how to put on love in the midst of chaos. Parent-teacher conferences and sporting events and holidays. It was just messy. We call that around here complexity. You can find the Family Life Blended podcast with Ron Deal wherever you get your podcasts or go to familylife.com slash podcasts. Welcome back to Family Life This Week. I'm Michelle Hill. We are talking today with Arlene Pilliking, and she is the co-author of a book entitled Screen Kids. She wrote it with Dr. Gary Chapman. So Arlene, you have three children, and none of them have smartphones. I'm just curious, what does your oldest think of that? Because he has got to be in a time and a place where he's going to school, and either he needs to get a hold of you or... His friends are like, dude, why don't you have a smartphone? Do you not have cool parents? Why couldn't you have talked them into that? I'm, I'm just thinking there's got to be some issues going on, you know, that he has to face, whether he's getting in touch with you or your husband or, or just being a, a young teenager. Sure. I love this question. It's such a good question. So Ethan is a junior. Uh-huh. And see, you have to see the philosophy is 
kids these days, they don't know how to solve their own problems. Because when they have a problem, they grab their phone, they text their mama, and they say, what should I do? And mama tells them that. So my husband, James, is like, mm-mm, my children are not going to grow up that way. They're going to grow up the way I grew up, which means I have a problem. I have to figure this out. There's a little bit of pain involved, and I figure this out. And the joke is, oh, you don't have your own phone, but you can just ask your friend who is one foot away from you, hey, could I borrow your phone to text my mom? And that is in reality what happens. <laughs> so it's communication. You know, and my son was before the pandemic, he's riding three miles to school on his bicycle, you know, by himself without a smartphone. And we'll talk about that. And he'd say, mom, if I have a flat tire, then I will start walking just like I would start walking if I had a smartphone. Like it doesn't matter. Here's the thing. In the absence of the smartphone, you kind of have to figure things out. And it really has been a plus for my son because we always thought it was safer for him to travel without a phone, right, of what could happen to you versus okay, we give the phone because it makes us feel like you're safe, but now you're tempted to look at porn. Now you're tempted to play video games all the time. Now you're tempted to talk to friends that were like, who is this friend you're talking to, you know, et cetera. So we always felt like we want you to be independent to solve Mm -hmm. your own problems. And we don't want to put that kind of temptation right inside of your pocket. So those were just those. So I think it's important to see the why and to communicate that to your child so they understand that. Now, my children, from the time they're very young, they've known, you know, they're two years old. I will never have a smartphone. You know, so it wasn't... (laughs) It wasn't like news to them. So as a result, nobody asks, nobody badgers us like, mom, we live in 2020, coronavirus, can we get a phone? Not one question during the coronavirus, like, mom, could we potentially get a phone now? And the way we handle it is they can grab my smartphone whenever they want to for group chats and staying in touch with people and my phone might blow up, but I don't care. That's great. Please use my phone. Then they have Google voice numbers, which allow them to chat with their friends. So my son is the captain of the debate team, co-captain of a quiz bowl team. And so he communicates all that through text on Google voice on the computer. So there's a way around it because people will ask like, how does he communicate with people? So he does it that way or uses my phone. He teaches piano lessons to elementary school kids, students. So he uses that voice number for those kinds of calls. And again, with his friends too. He, you know, we have technology in the house. It's just that it's desktop or laptop technology that doesn't travel with you. And that makes it easier so that you're not always checking and you're not always looking. So he has found a way and he's very frugal. And we've told him, like, if you ever do get a phone, like, you'll have to pay for it yourself. <laughs> so that's also part of it with kids <laughs> right. is let them have buy-in and let them feel like, wow, this is expensive to have that. That's a good responsibility lesson and an economic lesson as well. So don't just give it to your kids, you know. So for Ethan, he'll say, now, even if you said I could have one, I probably wouldn't have one because it'd be an unnecessary expense. Now, he's very oh, frugal, so that works for him. So I think sometimes we as parents, we're fearful and we project that onto our kids. But when we're confident, like, hey, you're going to make it just fine without a phone. Mm-hmm. They find a way. And it's, I think it's really good for them. You know, kids are going to be different. Why not be different this way? Well, and what I'm hearing from you and also what I got from the book was that limiting time on smartphone, on a yeah. screen, on anything allows more conversation to flow. Yes. And that's actually where we need to be. Yeah. 
that that's where you get your sense of belonging. Because what's happening mm-hmm. is, let's say your child is going into middle school or maybe there's, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. They start talking about like, hey, could I have that phone? And you're thinking, oh, I want them to have a phone to connect with other people. But that's the age where they're going to find their identity. Mm-hmm. They're really looking for belonging. And all of a sudden, if they're looking at that through social media, that's going to be the wrong benchmark. Then all of a sudden, oh, I have to be popular because my body has to look like this. Have to be popular how people quantify it. Like how many followers do I have? How many likes I have? Now it's a number. It's quantifiable and I can see I'm a loser, right? Those are the wrong things. So it's really sad that during a very vulnerable part of our child's life, we're like, okay, I guess everyone's doing this. Here you go. Where I would say delay that device, delay social media. And when they ask those questions, let them find the answers in, I really am good with animals. I take care of my dog. I'm a good dog trainer. I'm good at math. My parents love me. I'm useful at church. I volunteer. You know, let them find that belonging and that meaning in other places. And that's going to be so much healthier for your kid. How do we teach our kids how to love and honor God with our phones? Yeah. You know, I I love the conversation you can have with kids about, is this a digital vegetable or is this digital candy? And the idea would be, of course, there's technology that's very helpful. Like what you are listening to right now is because of the modern age of technology. And we're trying to equip you to live for God in this world with your family. So that's cool. So that's a digital vegetable. When your kids have to do online school, and so now they're they're online and they're learning, and that's a vegetable. When they're Skyping grandma, that's a vegetable. You know, and, and you'll know because kids aren't like, oh, please, can I Skype grandma, you know, in the middle of the night, please? <laughs> you know, so you'll, you'll know. They don't get addicted to these kinds of things. But of course, the candy is YouTube, TikTok, social media, video games, and that might be okay in small doses, but what typically happens, it's like putting a bag of open M&Ms in your child's pocket and say, good luck with that. I don't want you to eat any M&M. Just eat one today. You know, it's not going to happen. So good luck with that. You know, so when you look at a digital vegetable, you can tell them, look for things that honor God. And those are usually the vegetables. Those are the sermons that you listen to online. That's the water project you're learning about in Africa. That's getting in touch with your family members. That's maybe, you know, texting a friend and inviting them to church. Those are digital vegetables. Those are ways to honor God. But the digital candy, I tell you what, if you as a parent or grandparent just scroll through TikTok, you'll know there's not much there that glorifies and honors God at all. So that's a good parameter. Does this honor God? Does this glorify God? And a way to talk about it with kids is, hey, is that a digital vegetable that's good for you? Or is that digital candy? Mm, That's a good, that is a really good point. Talk to a mom or a dad who is exhausted. And I'm thinking maybe even like a single mom or a single dad who's exhausted at the end of the day. It's so easy to throw a screen at them or not to have the fight to go and play outside. Just coach them through how to have those conversations with their kids, how to be present with their kids when they're exhausted. Yes. I think there's going to be a point where you're like, the pain of staying the same Mm. is more than the pain of change because it's so easy just to keep going. But there'll be a point where you'll have to reach where it's like, man, this can't be this way. I got to do something. So at that genesis of the, I've got to change. Then think of something really doable. 
maybe it's Friday night that you say, hey guys, every Friday night now we're going to do a family movie night instead of everyone just going off in their own corners and watching whatever they want, right? We're going to choose something that our whole family can watch together. We're going to pop popcorn and that's going to be the only screen time of the whole evening. So maybe you start with that. It's like, that's doable. You know, so it means no video games, no social media. That's going to be our thing. And you get that Friday night in place and it starts working and you're like, hey, this is good. You know, one Friday night you say, you get to choose a movie. Another Friday night, mm. you get to choose a movie, you know, revenge and, you know, et cetera. And then like you were saying for that exhausted parent, instead of being so overwhelmed, like I'm such a loser parent, I'm doing nothing. Just say, you know what? For five minutes every day, or maybe 10 minutes every day, I'm going to sit with my child and I'm going to read to them, right? So let's say you have a small child and you're just overwhelmed, but you can do this. If you say to yourself, from 7 to 7.05, I can certainly stop everything, sit next to that child and read for five minutes. And you do that every night, five-minute read. And all of a sudden now you're building a really healthy habit that in time will start to pull you. That you'd be like, okay, it's our reading time. And then it can grow from five minutes to 10 minutes. So I'm not saying like, oh, for good parents, you have to watch your child and be next to them the entire time they're home. <laughs> no, but you do need these pockets that are yeah. screen-free, that are just you and your child, you and your grandchild, and doing something together. And believe me, if you have a child who's young enough that you can read to them, you want to take advantage of that time. Because when they're teenagers, they don't want to sit next to you right. <laughs> for you to they read to them a book. Fast. Right? Okay. They grow up so, way too so fast. So if you've got a young child, you need to have that. Say, mm -hmm. I can do that. Five minutes a night, I can do that. And start there. Arlene, thank you so much for not only educating us on, on screens and the effect on our children, but coaching us through how to have stronger relationships with our children, with our families. So thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks so much, Michelle. Arlene Pelican, co-author of Screen Kids with Dr. Gary Chapman. If you're noticing some problems with your child, I just encourage you not to wait to act or even to get help for them. Because if I were you, I would so much rather hear from the doctor, don't worry, this isn't that bad yet. Here's just some practical things to work on rather than, well, you haven't caught this in time and your child needs some clinical intervention. And if you're wondering just what to look for, first take the Screen Kids quiz that Arlene has, and you can find that at our website, familylifethisweek.com. We'll also have a link there to an article by NeuroHealth Associates, which gives you further information on what is happening with screens and kids today. Hey, next week on Family Life This Week, we're going to talk with Holly Girth, and she is going to walk us through a mission statement. What? You don't have a mission statement for your life? Like, do you know where you're going in life? Do you have something to look at? Maybe something for you and your spouse to look at or something as a whole family to look at and really map out where are you going in life? We'll talk with Holly Girth about why that's important. That's next week on Family Life This Week. Hey, thanks for listening. 
I want to thank the president of Family Life, David Robbins, along with our station partners around the country. And a big thank you to our engineer today, Keith Lynch. Thanks to our producer, Marcus Holt. Justin Adams is our mastering engineer. And Megan Martin is our production coordinator. Our program is a production of Family Life Today. And our mission is to effectively develop godly families who change the world one home at a time. I'm Michelle Hill, inviting you to join us again next time for another edition of Family Life This Week.